Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Yep. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard. Can you tell live in another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, uh, the Herald, and the quest, uh, the past. Uh, in the tumultuous events that have made up this quest, the party have done much, traveled far, and seen quite a lot. Uh, having traveled to Fearmore, made sort of, kind of, friends with a lich, as well as the Lord of Gallad Bay, the party had been sent on a quest to give up their soul to the one known, I guess, only as Death. I'm sure Death has other names. Maybe it's like Jeff or something. But anyway, uh, when they go to visit Jeff, they had to travel to the magical citadel over there into Shield Bale. All the way, battling through the Tome Guard, finding out many dirty, dark secrets, and having to encounter a particular spooky demon known as Egael, who joined the list of immortals who hate you guys. Uh, the party managed to in a very heroic effort, defeat this evil and find their way to the magical teleporter where they have traveled now to the negative plane. Things are getting real metaphysical up in this piece as the party have lost all sense of self, all sense of consciousness, and the one thing that holds them truly together here is the handing, uh, the hand-holding, uh, which occurs as they drift deeper into the echoic space of nothingness and the darkness beyond. The party slowly begin to wilt away in mind and spirit and body as the nothingness and the uh, endless expanse of death that is the negative plane begins to siphon the life that they have uh, among them. Uh, the game ended last time with the entire circle holding hands, feeling a strange essence enter the center. Uh, the essence everybody sort of assumes to be some aspect of death itself, which sensing life in its domain is super not happy. But we got to the point now where the party have sort of presented the crystal vial with which they're going to give up one of their souls. And everybody has a moment where they're all sort of reaching forward to give up their soul and self-sacrifice. And I suppose now we're going to go around and figure out uh, everybody's perspective on this very important moment so I don't know who wants to go first are we going to make Gorendi go first he fell in he didn't know you guys went in there he's just wow that's a, that's a tough I break can have, <laughs> I can have Anton go first uh, okay let's take a look at it 
So I just figure it's kind of just your thought process. Not often do we get to hear the monologue of a character, but in a space such as this where nothing truly exists in a physical sense, really your thoughts are the only thing you truly have, so. Well, of all the things that Anton felt of him being sucked away in his life, for some reason, his strength still kept to him, so he felt that need to use it while he had it and give himself up, seeing that the rest of the party... It was definitely hit pretty hard. Then he looked at it, and he got ready to lift at it, his fingers nearly grazing it. But then he falters, because he sees on his finger a ring, a ring given to him by Cherie's, the ring that had the different types of ink, chalk, whatever it could be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He remembered his friend who he left to take care of Glory Week, to bring it back to, he doesn't even know what state it is. And he knows he made a promise to return. And then it just occurs to him, if he does this, he won't see Glory Wake. He won't come to his end with the Illuminator. So he hesitates just long enough. Okay. Were you talking about um, uh, uh, Shereel? Our mm-hmm. friend who lost his arm and all that. The one who turned yeah, from the cold to the wrong notes, sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, if you hadn't noticed, we've got a lot of names in this campaign. So I, <laughs> I don't really fault anybody for not remembering Shereel from Game 2. Now that we're on recorded episode 130-something, <laughs> I think, at this point. It's all good, Rowdy. But yeah, okay. And so with that, you pull your hand back. Well, who's next? Uh, I guess Norhill will go next. Okay. Uh, so, Norhill reaches for the flask, ready to sacrifice anything, if it means being able to protect everyone. Uh, after all, that's why he became a soldier. That's why he joined this funny little company of adventurers. And that's why, over the course of the last many months... He has made sacrifices and compromises and deals with everyone and everything so that he could protect everyone. Um, And yet, as he prepares to make yet another sacrifice, he thinks on his goal of a world at peace after the war and wonders, well, what if the future requires yet more sacrifice? Uh, And then when he requires the strength to lift his shield yet again, he finds he doesn't have the strength for it. And then dies, not even able to give aid and advice and hope uh, from the next world. And so he hesitates. You mean give advice through like the the Stein and through the, uh, the helm and all that stuff? Yeah, through the Stein or through the helm, or through whatever magics. Or just, you know, um, poetic advice. Okay. So I suppose now we can go to Klika. Yeah, I mean, Klika had made her choice as soon as she heard that what needed to be given up had to be given up. Um... She already knew at the end of the day that, like, 
in her life, she would technically get everything she wanted and attract the people who would make what she wanted happen. <laughs> and she has been coming to terms with that for a while now. But she also knows that, like, that's just there has to be a some sort of balance to that that like no one can live a life that blessed and then also get to hold on and have an afterlife that is maybe equally blessed she just doesn't think it's fair and she knows how many people have been brought close to her and she wants to believe it's because they care about her and she cares about them, but she's just not fully sure anymore. And so she is going to just without hesitation reach for it. Uh, as Klika reaches for it, Jarzak's gonna kind of call to her. Clicks! Clicks! You... One sec before you do that. What? What's up, Jarzak? I just wanted to uh, thank you for your sacrifice. And Jarzak goes to give Klika a handshake. Jarzak, we're already holding hands. I, I have to let go of Norhill's hand to shake your hand that you're trying to shake with. Oh, True. And with that, Jarzak slips his uh, bone hand out of the gauntlet and tries to beat Klika to the to grab it. And okay. as he goes and grabs it, he's like, well, don't have to worry about where my soul's going if I don't have one. And just grabs on. Okay. And so as you do, and you hold on to the vial, you feel the vial sort of like heat up for a single second as if somebody's warm hand holds it and it lets go sort of like almost through your hand some some no clip and cheat code stuff there but you feel it heat up for just a slight second and then all of a sudden it goes back to normal um but that's kind of it and as you hold on to it and feel Klika's kind of trying to scramble up your arm and get past your spooky itchy metal gauntlet Whatever essence you felt around you, the darkness, that cold that you felt surrounding the group of you guys, seems to have dissipated, and yet you feel surrounded by the same weightless oblivion that you had fallen into, and the stark reality of your situation begins to set in as Jarzak holds a vial with what may be his soul, and yet you all just hang there limp in space with nothing before you and nothing behind you. Nothing to come, and nothing that will ever be. So Jar what do you do now? Jarzak, what did you do? I believe they call it taking one for the team. <laughs> I've never tried it before, but figured, well, might as you well now. You were the last one I was expecting. I, I couldn't I couldn't let you guys do it. I want to throw your arm into the abyss. No, Klika, I'll <laughs> die. 
said, I don't have a soul, and then that'll be it. Klika tries with all three of her strength. <laughs> it just floats away limpless without any sort of gravity <laughs> or you. And slowly you realize that Jarzak can't swim through this, and he can't get it back. But that's how he dies, seven days later, outplayed. <laughs> so, I guess my question now is, as the party slowly begin to feel like whatever it was that was surrounding them is given up. They can feel that sitting in this space is going to slowly dissolve them and slowly they will turn to the same dust that ages will come to pass and turn into as well. It's as if this place is just a millennia a minute and just aging is just on a ridiculous scale. Life ceases to exist here. And so my question is, what do you do? We need to time travel, right? Like, is that the thing we're supposed to be doing right now? It's time traveling? Is no. that like... Ooh, how the hell are you going to do that? Yeah, no, the, the, the Lich is supposed to help us with that part. We need to get back to the material plane. Can Klika, like, tap oh, into oh. any stars or anything here? Is there any... thought Anything that she can, like, grab onto to, like, try and teleport with? Yeah, I mean, you'd be able to try. Uh, certainly a thing you could try. Sure. Can I give it a magic bean? Will that see Oh, yeah, here we go. This is it. Just chuck it into the expanse. Yeah, we oh. all eat one magic bean. <laughs> nice. So, uh, describe what that's like for Klika, then. I guess... As we sort of flow aimlessly, everyone holding everyone's hands, I'm assuming we all linked back up. Um, Klika is, you know, fighting back tears and desperately just sort of looking at the faces of her companions and then all around her and just trying to find anything that she can, like, feel the kind of connection to that she does with her star or any of the stars or just she knows whatever they just encountered is something like an immortal. Maybe they have some way in and out of here. Maybe she looks over at Anton and says, um, Anton, can you feel anything from maybe the illuminator? Do you see anything out there? Any stars? Any light? Anton senses absolutely nothing and feels as disconnected from the gods and the outside world as Anton could ever possibly feel. The only thing sort of benchmarking Anton's faith as existent in any capacity or form is the lantern at his side. He just pats the lantern. Kind of like the way you pat a cat. Well, I guess maybe let it shine as bright as it can. Uh, Click is going to try and find us a way home. Can I Can I have it cast on? Can I have it cast yeah. on? Light yeah, or you can, you can, yeah, you can, you can basically illuminate it. And you just yeah, sort of, you know, it. 
let's put it on super bright mode. Okay. So would that in the brutal darkness and impossibility of this oblivion, you see for just a moment a flicker within the lantern, and even on the most brightest of lights, the most piercing of, of the illuminator's gifts of daylight, all you see is the tiniest little flicker of candlelight within, as if struggling. Uh, to have any sort of, of way into this realm. And as it does so, it's almost like somebody's blowing out a birthday candle as you can see it's slowly beginning to give up and dwindle and go out. So what Clica do you do? Do her best to just grab onto that small flicker, that tiny light that she knows belongs to the Illuminator and she knows the Illuminator belongs to the entire Pantheon and if she can get to one star, she can get to any of them. Like, she just... That's her... Just all of that runs through her mind, and she just tries to zone in as hard as she can. Tries to remember standing atop the top of... What was it? Mount, where we fought uh, Sheriff Sentarin? Is that the Ice Dragon's name? We're just throwing around a lot of names this episode. Are you talking about um the the white dragon at the uh, yeah the spire I, there? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember the name of the mountain, but yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. that same feeling then that she did. She tries. She remembers how it felt as she walked through with a Dorum Dorum Domero. There we go. God, I was trying to put the R before the M that whole time. Uh. And yeah, she just like tries to grab that flash in a pan, one in a million feeling, and just projects all of that onto that little spark before it goes out. Okay. Um, Better not go out. I, I was going to say, unfortunately, it begins to go out. And in the time it takes you f for you to focus on it and muster that much energy towards it, Anton, you feel your faith being like the main conduit to this. How do you keep it going? Because for the first time, you realize that it's not necessarily the illuminator being directed through this lantern, but instead you feel it as a conduit of your own faith. And for a moment, you realize that the one thing that's directing the light from this outward is your own faith inward. Just think, he just keeps thinking of the, the lighthouse in Gorway. That light he always grew up with, the constant shifting of the light, the constant reminder it was always there, and he just focuses on that image that it's just not going to go away. It's always going to be there guiding him. It's always going to lead him home. So he just right. super focuses on that. And so as he focuses in and Anton sort of goes back through the decades and thinks back to the time he spent there, he has one glimmering moment as he feels the light within growing bigger and bigger and wavering and growing and growing, that for one split second, Anton has a faint memory of a little boy on the stoop of the lighthouse getting a kiss on the forehead from one man with dark red hair and his wife holding on to him crying before they turn away and leave. And in that split second, Klika snaps into reality and everybody is whisked out of this negative space and completely removed from it. 
So my question is, where was Kalika directing this? Because uh, where are you going? Mm, that's a really good question. <laughs> do, do I just get to pick? <laughs> I mean, it's a teleport at this point. I guess try and get us back to our airship. <laughs> Do you have was... a teleportation circle there? She was working on one. <laughs> Did the lich have right. a teleportation circle? Yeah, we can definitely go back there. I just feel bad about leaving the airship. Kind of. <laughs> Lucky dog behind with the boat. Yep. Like, good fucking luck. All right, I'm going to roll a percentage to Lucky see. Lucky Dog and off. Swift Bolt, right? He's still on that. <laughs> he's, he's, got a, he's got a friend now. Okay. So as the party uh, feel the sensation of being whisked away from the endless openness of oblivion, your eyes go through like five different dimensions of bright, dark, bright, dark. And for a moment, you feel the entire world's gravity begin to crush you. And you feel all of the Earth's like weight and pressure of moving back to like a material plane all of a sudden come over you. And slowly but surely, the entire party feel that weight on their chest and slowly going into their chest. As for a moment of realization, as if being jolted awake from dead of sleep, the party realize they are now underwater. And not just underwater, but like dark underwater. Oh, Kalika's is gonna die down here. <laughs> oh no, Norhill's a dwarf in heavy armor. He sinks. <laughs> no, Charzak can't swim. <laughs> this this is how Dan killed the party. <laughs> oh, what would you I've guys like it, to I've do? It, I've seen it happen before. We gotta swim. We is gotta Anton in heavy to... armor too. Oh yeah, the whole gang's fucked. <laughs> Oh, no! Yeah. Well... Do I have a spell? Let me wait a minute. Do I have a spell? Kalika can <laughs> dimension door her and one other person to the surface. Uh-oh. <laughs> Didn't figure this one out. Yeah. <laughs> but she can't ask for consent to teleport. I don't think anyone's gonna say no. <laughs> Um. Uh, fuck. Uh, All right. Well, like, oh, can I use ice to like rick it me up? Like, if I shoot like a beam of ice below me, the pressure will do the opposite of gravity and push me out. Will that work? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure being underwater doesn't have any special effect on spells in five A. Yeah. To be honest, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I can cast fire underwater. Is that what you're saying? Quick, eat a magic bean. Yeah, so I'm like, it's not gonna work. Quick, boil the water, kill us all. <laughs> water. All right, well, you guys gotta tell me what you're planning on doing because this one feels like it's gonna be a rough ending. Uh, and thus the party died. Well, you know, Norhill is just gonna start trying to swim for his life. Darlick, do you okay. have spells you can use to get out of this? No. Don't, won't fly make you just sort of float how, to the surface? Yeah, it has a verbal, though. How do you do a verbal underwater? You just say it. <laughs> as you as you die because you drink all the water? It's fine. No, That's just how it's it goes. 
We know about how long drowning takes. The only problem is you guys are so weakened in your constitution that probably might actually be only a minute or two. I mean, I can fly, but the technically because we're swimming, that won't matter, right? I assume it just means yeah, that's a fly speed, not a swim speed. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. I have control water. Can I control the water to pressure us up to the surface? One hundred percent. Let's fucking do that. Yeah, you know, that might be the best idea of the process. Mm. (laughs) All right, so what's Anton do? I'm gonna make us. It's he, he's gonna think of like a geyser or a whale, like when you get like at the whale's mouth. He's gonna pressure his hands like about the water below them and try to build pressure to push them up toward the surface, blast them up toward the surface, just like a geyser or a whale. <laughs> so he's doing the okay. Kamehameha with the whale in his mind. Yeah. Everybody feels like a semicircle current form around the outer rim of your circle joined together and feels everybody sort of like rotate and turn with the pressure forming beneath you. And as everybody tumbles, feeling like they've been caught into an undertow after the first 10 or so seconds of them not understanding what's going on. And all of a sudden in a tumultuous burst, the whole gang are just like rocket shipped like ragdolls straight to the surface. And judging by the lack of strength that a lot of our party members have, you guys are literally just like flapping in the water. <laughs> oh yeah. Straight uh, up. Actually, Norhill's physical stats are perfectly fine. Hell that yeah. Must, so Norhill's any grounds. <laughs> so with that, the geyser pushes everybody up, and you guys float to the surface. And kicking and attempting to hold yourselves together here on the surface, you can see probably about two hundred or three hundred or so feet away is a wave wraith parked off the coastline, oh. just sort of chilling. I rolled a percentage to see how close I got to the teleport, and it wasn't punishingly far off for not having a full circle complete, so I figured that was a safe enough bet. You'd probably pop up underwater. It was either that or you cannonball over the side of the fucking the coastline, and I figured this was a little <laughs> bit nicer than having you feel, you know. But anyway, so yeah, everybody's floating there. What do you do? Can, can I still control the water to push us toward the boat, or is that pushing it? I mean, I'll say that because you've got that and probably have other additional spell uses available. Yeah, you're yeah. able to push yourselves over there. That's kind of hilarious to think about. You guys, like, left, you're like, we'll be back, and you just, like, come from underwater. <laughs> like, like, just yeah, shoot a up onto the boat with the water. And just curious, is Anton doing this? Can he tell if, like, Jarzak is, like, is he conscious? Or is he dead? Yeah. No, Jarzak's cool. What? What? Yeah, yeah, he's he's good. He's cool. Fine. Yeah, he's peachy. So as the party begins scooting that way, you hear a few people he did shout drop upon the, the little deck. thing, though. Oh, no! <laughs> no, it's a quest item. It appears back in his inventory, just like the other thing. Yeah, the stone. Yeah, you cannot sell this <laughs> item. Um, <laughs> just selling his own immortal soul on the market. The yeah. problem is, is it's cursed because it's followed by the deceiver. It's, yeah. Like, yeah, it's followed by a lot this. more than the deceiver, but yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, so as the party scoot over there, you can hear shouts from on the deck, as you can tell, that uh, the crew see somebody cruising in the direction uh, on just Anton-powered jet skis scooting in this direction. Um but yeah, as you guys get much closer over to here, you can hear people shouting from the deck. Uh, somebody seems to yell out above all the other voices, Swiftbolt in particular, as he yells out, looking over the deck, that you guys have returned. 
Um, everybody shouts cheers of joy, but also utter confusion. And with that, Lucky Dog looks over the rail of the ship, too, and he says, you sons of bitches! And he just is absolutely flabbergasted. But with that, they let down ropes and start hoisting you guys upon deck. But what you realize in the light of day, sitting here on the boat, sort of haggardly breathing and sort of retching from having been spawned underwater, uh, those who have been affected by the darkness of the negative plane look gaunt and look gray and very pale. So Jarzak looks the same, but everybody else looks really rough. So <laughs> Jarzak actually looks a little better than usual. Damn. It's like he's got a... Re- He's got a nice little pep in his step. Like, he just got rid of a bunch of baggage. <laughs> uh, that was that was a good vacation. <laughs> that felt great. So warm and cozy. Um, <laughs> but as you guys sit there looking each other over and seeing this, I imagine everybody probably looks to Jarzak for a moment. And, uh, yeah. At this point, the crew on deck just asked if you guys are okay. And if you even went anywhere. They say you guys have been gone for, you know, about a about five days to a week now, but they were just kind of confused when you came back from underwater. Klika's uh, just gonna shakily take the, um, what is it, is it a vial? Class it's vial? A, a diamond, it's a diamond vial. Okay, yeah, diamond it's vial. It's a little tiny little thing. No bigger than one of those like pocket lighters, little tiny ones. Like closes our hands around Jar's axe, takes it from him, looks over at uh Lucky Dog and Swiftbolt. P- please put this somewhere the safest place you know. Don't let anything happen to this. So Lucky Dog has no idea what you've handed to him, but Swiftbolt putting together what he saw deep within the bowels of Unthrendil's lair has a moment of recognition and looking at each of you in your haggard half zombie state just sort of has his breath taken for a moment and puts his hand in front of lucky dogs and he says i'll i i think i can take it thank you swiftbolt then click is just gonna start sobbing into charzak's arms because i was just gonna put it in my glove but so fucking sad <laughs> Um, yeah, Klinka, it's gonna be okay. The, uh, one thing I will say that Jarzak notices now that he is departed, um, there is absolutely no difference. You don't feel hollow, you don't feel cold, you don't feel different, there's no psychological difference. You literally feel like nothing happened. And if you hadn't been floating in the inky expanse of darkness and death and oblivion, he would have thought this was just any other day. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Jarzak's going to be like, Klika, it's, it's going to be fine. I, I feel okay. Yeah. Klika. <sighs> Klika. She just doesn't even finish her thought. She's just, I'm pretty sure Klinkus is going to pass out. She has almost nothing left in her. She does Jarzak will scoop her <laughs> before she falls. I think if you add up four of her stats right now, they add up to 15. So 
total. So that's a good sign. That's a pretty good sign, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I will say that unless you guys get restoration spells, these points are going to come back uh, one point at a time each day for the full uh, rest. One second. I wonder one point I... each skill or one point like across the board? The board. Okay, okay. Whew. <laughs> I was like, this could be a long time. I don't have restoration prepared right now, but I could try to prepare it in the morning. I mean, I, I'm assuming that'll be a thing that you could do. Um, yeah, we have, we have goes, but... a pretty time long <laughs> trip. Isn't it like two weeks? I mean, that's assuming you guys take the whole vessel with you. But if you guys are just going to teleport back over to Enthrendil's lair, it seems like uh, you don't even really need to. No, that's true. No. I would spend some time beneath the sun before facing that again. And by that, you mean in Threndial, or do you mean death incarnate, or... Just all of it. Or the so, teleport. At, so, <laughs> the only damage Norhill took was to his intelligence and his wisdom. So, physically, I'm kind of assuming he looks better than some of the other members of the party, but... Jarzex... I'm going to say that Norhill's going to have a little bit of trouble remembering exactly what we faced here. So from the fight in the basement uh, of the Tome Card Citadel to crawling up onto the deck of the Wave Wraith is kind of a wash for him. You know, it's kind of sad when you think about it that way. I'll just put it like this, Jarzak can be killed by like a level one barbarian, so in one hit. <laughs> he's, he's looking pretty bloody. <laughs> like real bloody. <laughs> just an FYI, I'm not actually sure I can use restoration. I don't think I mean, we have a rest I mean no, that but only again. looks like paralysis and such. It's only greater well, well, restoration that's... used for ability score. Ooh, that's I nice. don't have the components. Fair enough. Um, okay, so it seems like it's just a matter of time then. Yeah, that are divine intervention, but you know. Um... Oh, try that. <laughs> um, okay, so then what's the plan for the party? Are you going to be teleporting? Are you going to be taking the vessel there? And Norhill is going to continue to insist on sailing there, even if he isn't ever entirely able to be clear on why. Yeah, Cleek is is pretty good on sailing. The vessel shouldn't stay here no matter what. So, Well, don't forget, geographically speaking, you guys were actually technically way closer to Azkabellum than you guys think you were before, which is an allied territory. So if the Wavery theoretically did have to travel back home to oh. Eagleheart or, or you know, south to Enton, it could go over allied territories the entire way home. And it would probably only take about a week and a half to do so. Yeah, we also, I, Klika has a teleport in Azkabellum. The two that she started with were there in um, Enton? Fuck. What's the little people town? Enton, yeah. Enton. Oh, man. Thank God I remembered that. Yeah, so... Uh, 
like if we stopped at the capital of Ascabellum, we could leave the wave wraith there and have a teleport back pretty easily. I think Anton would be in favor of that because he just saw like some images of his parents. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Anton feels only like a slight flicker of a memory. And basically all you remember seeing is just a little boy getting a smooch on the head from Papa and Mama crying. And that's the only thing you remember seeing. But then again, the only reason why you're even assuming anything is because you feel weird sense that you're looking down at yourself as a child and seeing the resemblance <laughs> in whoever the grown man was that smooched you on your head. It just sort of looked like you. So, just a strange moment. A few days but. of rest in friendly territory will do us all some good, I think. So if that's agreed upon, the uh, Wave Wraith is mobilized within the hour and lifts up from the shore turns around, the air elementals are thoroughly agitated, and the mechanized ship starts flying south to Azkabellum, uh, cruising over the coastline. It is going to take uh, about seven days for the party to leave Staffwind and make it all the way down to Avi, which is the capital city that you guys had gone to before. But luckily, again, you will be flying over allied territories, including flying over the, uh, you know, the city there that you guys had Saved so very long ago for era, era steading, as it were. Um, Click is gonna really stress that we should take the pass through the mountain with the bats because that's a lot of fun. No! <laughs> Not again, Ruzel, yeah, just like that episode of SpongeBob. Like, keep going, keep yeah. going, yeah, just a pleasure cruise through all the drow and the purple worm. <laughs> <laughs> I had no issues with uh, that. Me and so Kick were awesome. The... <laughs> oh, Kick. Okay. So in the pro- uh, we're gonna have to crack a ceremonial, warm one out in the desert for warm one out for the homies. Click um, is just drooling from the mouth as she spots a desert dra- rabbit. We gotta stop. <laughs> we gotta <laughs> summons her draconic spirit to hunt it down. Bring that to me. Grunting at it. Uh, um. Okay. So that the uh, party for the next seven days travel over the uh the land that Era once had abandoned. Uh, now looking upon them, you guys can see the greenery slowly taking shape and rolling hills and open pastures. Seeing the uh native Avians here and the uh, native Azkabellans sort of in homesteads and farmsteads across the land as you fly overhead. Uh, it is a time of war. Granted, it's not war in their own front, but you can definitely tell that some places are not doing too well. Um, and it seems like a lot of places are relatively abandoned, but, you know, for what it's worth, the land looks pretty sweet. Uh, but the party will be traveling for about seven days of this. So everybody's obviously going to get back all their HP, and everybody's going to restore seven points of ability score damage, which I think might actually bring everybody back to where they were. Yep. Uh, let's see. So between my two abilities, um, and that's seven for each ability score. Oh, seven for each. Yep. 
It's just one yeah. ability score point a day for everybody. All right, yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's we'll bring everybody back up to max. Okay. So the nightmares that you guys face as you rest and take your time as you're traveling are relentless and brutal, and the sense of damnation through apocalyptic nothingness and apathy are enough to drive any of you guys insane. But coming together as a collective and recognizing the cold sweats that you guys feel in your near comatose level of rest that you take on your trip, it becomes very apparent that you guys are very clearly all in this together. Um, sort of falling upon each other's uh, kindness and support in one way or another, it's a lot easier to handle the trauma you've all experienced by being there together. And I think in some cases, the silent acceptance of each other's role as caretaker and, you know, onlooker at each other's growth and eventual demise sinks in as you've nearly traveled from hell to heaven in, in one way or another uh, together. And here you are on the boat that you have salvaged, scrapped, and improved over lands that you've saved from utter damnation. Um <laughs> So as I usually do at a time like this, was there any sort of uh, role play you guys wanted to do as you're traveling? Or should I force um, you? Yeah, Charizard's ah. gonna... Yeah, you know, force us. Do that. <laughs> so what's Charizard do? Oh shit, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, so Charizard's gonna... Just because he's like everything feels normal still and stuff he's just gonna in his mind just be like any of you still here you hear one voice like no guys um, <laughs> uh you feel the connection to the blade still and as you probably call to it on a moment when you can have the space and the safety to do so you can summon the spirit of the blade if you would like to yeah that's that's okay. the one I was looking for. I'm glad that's the that's... one. So anyway, the demented pile of molten flesh crawls out of your subconscious, and there's an "I'm here." Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, what was I gonna say? But yeah, so sorry. Uh, the swordsman appears before you and seems to sort of stalk the deck like a uh, um, how do I say this? Like a uh, like a caged cat, you know. Um, and as it steps back and forth, it looks to you again and says, I feel a weakness in our connection. That that probably makes sense, since I may have lost my soul. But I wanted to thank you, because I don't think I could have made that decision if you hadn't helped me see. And with that... The swordsman stands sort of uh, in a very uh, postured pose here and stops looking at you. And for the first time, you notice some emotion in the face as it seems like the swordsman goes from his usual stoic pose to instead one of disappointment and then one of like an acceptance and kindness that you haven't seen in it yet. And with that, the swordsman says, the purpose of a blade such as this and my role in this blade is to protect those who wield it if they are so deserving it is the hope that whoever wields the blade will reach perfection before their ultimate demise 
accepting their role and their fate within the blade itself. I see now that you will never be able to truly assist in the use of the blade. But because you have done nothing but continue onward in your pursuit of greatness, self-ownership, and excellence as a warrior, I shall stand by you in your quest for perfection. My one request is the day that you can no longer wield me with the greatness and efficacy that you had had before, I would hope that you would gift me to one willing and one capable. Yeah, I, I can do that. And with that, he gives just a solemn nod and says, in other instances and circumstances, I think you would have been a great soldier. A different I think life. You, perhaps. But I suppose I will never see you if anything happens. My only hope is that if it is the case that you die and your soul is truly, completely, and utterly gone, I am there to witness your fall so that you may die in glory rather than die a coward's death. But I would never. I would never accuse you of such a thing. Oh. And for the first time, the swordsman openly smiles. And I suppose at this point, the swordsman sort of drifts off into nothingness, fading off to the night sky into the stars above. Strazak puts his sword away. Oh, I'm sure glad it was that one. <laughs> yeah, one thing that you notice now is there is no other real other voices going on in your head. That itchy sensation you felt before, ever since you made amends with your brother, before his untimely demise, and then his second demise at the hand of Anton, um... It uh, It's really apparent to you just how little the Deceiver has been able to contact you or have any sort of connection to you. And so, yeah. It seems like having lost your soul, you've become sort of the uh, empty vessel you were before all of the bad things in your life occurred. What about this Infernal one that talks to me every now and then. When, when was the last time I heard him? Or her? Or the, the spooky pile of molten, ugly <laughs> flesh? Yeah. Yeah, that thing's been gone for a, a little bit now. After going to the abyss, uh, sorry, the, uh, the negative plane, <laughs> you, uh, it seems like you've sort of cleansed that part of you. It seems like even that found a level of comfort in the negative place, so it probably just kind of drifted off and fell out of your brains there okay so after talking to the swordsman and going through the, all that he looks over at domaro's luck and he's like sure glad i didn't have to start hitting things with you to get out of there <laughs> for a moment you see a fox jackal just sort of uh quickly <laughs> sidestep across the deck out here <laughs> as you go to look for I, it I it's chuckle. no longer there <laughs> domaro Dolphin boy <laughs> You know, when you really think about Jarzak as a character, what the fuck happened that we've got fox jackals and dolphin boys and swordsmen and molten piles hey, of the, flesh? The fox jackal, isn't that the brother of the deceiver to begin with? So, 
Yeah, I mean, I when, just think it's hilarious hey, that Dan, when you open just... yourself up to the universe, you let all sorts of wonderful and wild <laughs> things in. And I've never met a character who has just more embodied the idea of opening themselves up to the universe than Jarzak. He's like fucking anybody he meets. Fuck it, let him in. Uh, fuck it, it went okay the first time. Let's go. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, there's, a, there's a party so, in this brain. I, you know, there's a lot of room in there. Um, so, the, <laughs> uh, uh, so I guess my question is, does anybody else have any sort of travel improv they'd like to do? I think Anton's going to actually try to do the spell sending to Shereel just to give him a quick message of we're still alive. We're still going to do whatever we can to save Amaroth and do give up hope. Okay. So. Yes, I hope Gorwick didn't burn down. <laughs> after about Again. an hour or so, you get yeah you get message back from Shereel that he as well as many of the orcs from Gorgareth have been holding the town of Glorywake and the surrounding area there as the onslaught of the metallic forces of the uh, Herald of Steel, the Iron Maelstrom, that is, they've been trying their best to sort of pierce through and make their way to Enton to sort of bolster their their uh, their um, their troops in order to move closer to the Spire. But unfortunately, Shereel makes it very well known that there have been so many casualties and so many dead orcs and so many dead people from Glory Wake that a lot of people are losing hope. It seems like even though the uh, the queen has sort of kind of locked herself away in the castle and left herself an eagle heart, um, the armies continue to march and the spire seems to be at an all-time high and it's not looking good for everybody else. They're running out of time. And he kind of communicates okay. that to the group. Okay. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Yeah. What about Norhill? Norhill doing anything fun? Yeah, uh, Norhill's going to do pretty much exactly what he said. He's going to spend uh, as much time as he can uh, out on deck in the sun and fresh air. Getting a nice tan. Yeah. Okay. So Jarzak enjoys the uh, much needed rest here. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that kind of checks out. Uh, slowly over time, Norhill feels his memories coming back to him, but feels like, in a weird way, his own memory and recollections of of the past are a bit more foggy than they were before. And for a moment, has a fearful feeling that he might not ever get back the mental acuity he had before going into that place and hopes deep down inside that he's never going to forget the important things, but feels just how easily he almost did. So I imagine that probably probably gets to him just a little bit as, you know. Well, uh, well lucky for him, um, you know, when he gets that feeling, he's he pulls out, um, like, uh, like, you know, a little bit smaller than a fist-sized brass locket, uh, which has been written on my character sheet for the, the entire campaign, by the way. Uh, and it's got nice. family portraits in it. 
um, on one side, uh, it's a somewhat old, old portrait of uh, him, his mother, father, and brother. And then on the other side is it's him, his wife, and son. So I imagine that's probably what pulls his memories back into focus, as everything Norhill's done is sort of centralized from that point and gone outward in the big spider web. Nice. Okay. And it's a Hold huge relief for him. Oh. Yeah, once Kliga starts to feel a bit better, because she was not in great shape, uh... <laughs> I guess she'll go off to the deck on one of the days. Um, and she doesn't know how well this will work or even if it does, what it'll mean. But uh, she's going to try and use summon Draconic Spirit. But like she's going to try and channel her mother's spirit into it. Now that she knows that her mom, uh, Felgrisid, is technically still alive. She knows it won't actually be able to communicate with her or anything like that. But she just kind of wants to feel that closeness. Because that'll be the closest she's been to her family in a very long time. Okay. The way I will describe this is, you know, in like footage of the ocean when there's like a giant sea creature beneath and all you see is like the dark outline of something ominous below spiritually speaking attempting to conjure the draconic spirit you feel like this spirit of the of felgrisid sort of like looming around you for a moment as if as you try to like lightning rod it into focus you can feel the life force there but it's, it certainly belongs to somebody still. So as you do so, you feel the immenseness of the spirit. You feel the current life force and everything there with the spirit. But you feel like it's intangibly like being pulled at by you. So it's like you you feel that you're pulling at something. It, it exists. It's there. But it's not currently capable of being conjured. You see what I'm saying? And mm. for a moment... As you do so, you feel eyes upon you, as if something recognizes this action. Click is just gonna, I guess, wave and say, "Hi, I'm I'm Klika. and then let the spell go. Okay. For just a moment, nearly an hour later. You feel a voice in your head reply, I know. Clique <laughs> just sort of slumps down wherever she was and just sort of sits there and feels that for a long time. Just going over the way it sounded. I think it fell out of Jarzak's head and landed in yours. <laughs> She's like, oh no. Oh, no. Ooh, who are you? <laughs> like, mother. Um, so with the... well, that would explain a lot of the morbid killing power of Klika, wouldn't it? It anyway. sure would. So at this point, the party flowed into Avi, which again, it's a city during wartime. So 
even though the place is still packed as a city would be, and especially such like a metropolitan kind of city. Um, it seems like this place is doing pretty well for itself. But again, during wartime, you can tell there's sort of a an ongoing stress about the place. But people definitely recognize you as you um, make your way into the city and sort of land and get your your uh, legs to you to figure out what you're going to do next. So what's the plan with that? Well, I don't suppose we can put it off for very long. We'll need to go see the Lich sooner rather than later. So I'd suggest we take however much time we need to resupply uh, and uh, be on our way uh, on our way forthwith. Yeah, if we just, I guess, let um, Theroni know that we're here and we're going to be using his teleportation circle. We should be pretty okay. Okay. Um, so the steward being the only one here currently in attendance and any power here, Dace, which you had met a long time before, sees you guys uh, having survived throughout all of what you've done is as if he sees a ghost. Um, as he sees all of you and welcomes you in, he asks you what your business is here in the castle while the king is gone. Um, we just need to get access to your teleportation circle. And in the most like obnoxious bureaucratic way possible, he puts his hands to his hips and he says, I'm afraid I can't allow you to just enter this place without any sort of official invitations. Wartime or not, I have my duties. Well, where's the king? Why, he's currently fighting the battle across the sea. Is he in Enten? Currently, lightly. Um, they could debates about teleporting to Enten to get <laughs> approval from the king to come back here. <laughs> Uh, uh, Norhill will step up and say, I assure you that this is a matter of great importance to the war effort. And as a fellow head of state, you have my word that we will not misuse this privilege in the king's absence. You can roll a persuasion with advantage. Or intimidate, I don't know. Maybe you gave him an ugly look when you did it. Um, 17. Okay. So with that, he sort of disarms a bit, and he says, Very well. But if I sense anything happening that I would not approve of, nor the king, you best understand I will make a report of this and have him informed as soon as physically possible. Yeah, D.A.S., we know. And so with that, the party march past and go to where Klika had set up the teleportation circle, which I don't actually remember where that was. I don't... I just know I... Like, when I got the skill, I was like, well, can I have Avi and Enten? You were like, sure. And I was like, alright, perfect. Because those were the last two major cities we had been in. I think it might make sense if you put that, in, like, one of those within the uh, the glass chamber that you guys had originally spied on the queen from. Maybe you put it in there. So going to one of his, like, thinky, angry domes where he, you know, you could see the sea and the coastline and everything. Mm. The uh, teleportation circles up in there. 
Perfect. Word. So, okay. As the party are lit up that way um, and head to the teleportation circle. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, any final goodbyes or anything you guys wanted to give to anybody? Or any do last we, instructions? Do we want to let Lucky Dog know to maybe head towards Enton and we'll meet them there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Lucky Dog sort of gives a nod and says, I'm sure I'll see you there. Did Click go buy um, souvenirs for everybody when we were in Gallad Bay? I think that yeah. was something. Something I, I said I might do. I know. I know for a fact Norhill did. Uh, if you did, That's I true. might not have then, because I didn't want to be a little it's copycat. Yeah. So okay. I was gonna say. Well, either way, gonna just send Swift Bolt back with Klika's letter of recommendation. Okay. Very well. Okay. So I suppose as the. Uh party head to the teleporter and step within it Kalika probably summons the starlight again and decides to travel to Enthrendil's lair yeah Jesus the icon okay. of despair yeah, don't forget it so okay for a moment everybody feels weightless and then they feel the g-force rise within their stomach before getting kicked square in the crotch and flying through space and time through the teleportation Kalika's not a very good driver um she can't reach the pedals very well so everybody turbos through space and time before ending up in what could only be described as the icon of despair i suppose um as you guys waken in the absolute darkness bathed recesses of the dungeness home of the lich it becomes all too apparent from the cold stone, the smell of ancient dusty rot, that you certainly have made your way there. It's just that nobody except for... Just kidding. Everybody except for uh, Anton can see clearly in the darkness that you're in something of a dungeonous lair. Looking around, uh, it appears that you're surrounded by iron bars on each and every side, as if the teleportation circle itself is locked within a cage. Um, Thrandil, we're back. How creepy that is. Just like, come on, at least turn the lights on. And so a shadowy figure and form sort of duskily moves through the darkness and approaches one of the sides to the metal cage and says, I had no idea you would return so soon. I thought you were watching. Well, not always. Well, that, he says, did you give them my kindest regards? Not a lot of talking. Not much of anything. And with that, he just sort of lets out a dusky sort of cough as it rattles from his old, ancient, dried-up esophagus. And with that, he 
moves over to the bars, grazes one hand across it, and you can see the bars just disappear, as if they may never have ever been there in the first place. And he, as well as a few of his spooky deathlock white things, just sort of drift from the darkness and sort of take form from the souls that are just drifting lazily about within the recesses of his ancient undead lair, as he brings you back to the throne room where he was at before. He sits upon his throne, and you feel the darkness and pain sort of wrap around you guys. The death shrouds taking form. He sits in all of his glory and says, Have you retrieved the device? Filled it with the soul you require. Yep. We, we got it. Oh shit, we left it on the ship. <laughs> Swift Bolt still has it. Darjak, check your left back pocket. Oh, there it is. It's the metal bar. You're like, uh oh. Oh, wait a Jesus. <laughs> no, get that. It's the a potion English. of elven kind. Oh, no. <laughs> Brought some cold ones for the ride. <laughs> uh, so, with that, the. Uh, Lich leans forward a little bit in the uh, in its throne, and as it does so, you can hear the clinking of its bones on the stone surface, and as it does so, it says, Most marvelous. I take it you had an enjoyable stay in the domain? It was, it was pretty good. And as you say so, the Lich sort of looks square at you with its lack of eyeballs, and it just sort of stares into you with that very creepy, unemotional skull looking at you way. And for a moment it says, it was you, wasn't it? Wait, why would it be me? And with that, the skeletal figure just sort of grinds fingertips on the stone arms of the chair and says, do not toy with me. I can sense it. Damn, you're good. Yeah. You are lifeless like myself. Now, how do I live as long as you? Jarzak, let's... I don't actually... It doesn't (laughs) work that way. You know what you call, like, imperfect immortality? It's kind of the worst way it could possibly be. Oh, no, I messed it up. You're like fine China without a warranty. There's just absolutely no saving you if you get dropped, you know? <laughs> anyway, beyond that, that's part of my comedy routine. I get very bored down here. Um, he's just opening up a comedy club out in the just wasteland, just called give, the Funny Bone. Give us your tight five. <laughs> so, what's the deal with magic missile anyway? Click a cash shield. <laughs> I mean, technically, every missile is magical. Am I right? Oh my god. Um, okay. So, with that, it says, So I take it at this point you need my assistance. Yep. That's, that's why we came here. I have found a great interest in your cause. And I think I have a gift for you that you will soon appreciate. I have done what I do for a long, long time. And in an effort to receive many gifts and much understanding, I have aligned myself with many a fell and foeish creature. 
I may be your one chance at saving everything. And though you have given me much already, I think when I show you how good you have it, you may have to owe me more. Perhaps somebody else is willing to sacrifice their own soul. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. And so with that, a cackle falls from its bony face in a very disheartening and strange way. And it says, the power of the living comes from their essence, the spirit that they have. That spirit is like the steam that rises from the waters within. Yes. The dreams we see and dreams we feel are like the beads of condensation from this steam. Reverberations into space and time, so intangible to the living, and yet to those who understand the metaphysical realities beyond what is a dream but just another reality one has created, and yet they cannot enter or return to. Fortunately for you, I know much in the ways of the dreams, and I know of a few individuals who may have been close to this herald of steel before the final moments. I have been able to track down diaries and records within my vaults. On that fabled night, when the transformation was completed, up there in the mountains, I know for certain a group of hobgoblins who had been there, who had seen it. And I am offering you a chance to enter through their dreams to this reality. I warn you, you may find yourselves lost in such a place, but I'm assuming if you've traveled through one bit of nebulous abyss, what's another? So tell me, are you willing to try? Yeah. You have to. Of course. Good. And so with that... He leads you to another chamber, one filled with tons of books, like he had mentioned, records. It's it's like football stadiums of just of just aisles of reading, joined together by spiraling stairwells, multiple balconies reaching out. The whole place is one big giant violation of so many different like standards for building and construction. This place is a death trap, which I guess a lich would be fine with, but as he travels down there with the whites sort of drifting in and out behind him and leading you down this way, he pulls out a record book and blows off a bit of the dust on top of it and holds it forward before you. And within is a series of records of people on a payroll of a certain individual that he had hired a long, long time ago. He thumbs through this thing, and for a moment you think to yourself, how the heck would he know this one book and this one aisle on this one page with these four names in here that he had seen somewhere a long time ago? And then you remember, well, I guess when you live forever, you got nothing better to do. So he thumbs through and finds a page with four names within it. And he says, I remember this very clearly. Nearly a hundred years ago, I had hired many people to spy on those mountains. The Sunderspine. 
Those who were closest to Stormblood may have learned much. Valakath has always been an enemy of my own, and one I'd hoped to perhaps rid myself of. But these four could have brought me closer. Fools they were, but they worked for cheap. I have their names for you, if you're so inclined. It may be important to you all to remember them. And with that, he just sort of thumbs through and reads off the four names. So, Anthony, or I suppose Norhill, uh, you are Goodrick. Okay. Jarzak, you get Taclaw. Klika hears Jembering. <laughs> and Anton, Ronnie, you get Alhawk. What? Alhawk? Yep. Can you repeat mine? <laughs> I would love to. Taclaw. Taclaw? Yeah. Can, can you say it in a sentence? Jesus Christ. <laughs> you knew Goodrick, this was going to happen. <laughs> Jembering and Alhawk. It's not that important for right now, but as he says so, he says, I'm going to need you all to trust me. What I'm going to do next is going to be very dangerous, and you may be lost. But you will all be separated. Tell me, do you trust me? I have no other choice. Yeah, we we gotta have to. A shrill cackle comes from the lich as he recognizes how powerless you all are and seems to toy with you at this moment. He leads you down to one of the many experimental chambers he has within this place and brings you to four concrete slabs that are just laid out unceremoniously upon the floor. Uh, Perhaps it is ceremonious. It's very hard for you guys to tell specifically, but a series of four blue candles in the room are illuminated at each of the heads of these planks here. And with that, he simply requests that you lay down. Jarzak does it. Yep, same as Anton. Yep, oh Norhill lies down. Klika struggles to get on her slab and then lies down. <laughs> Got a little, little step, little step ladder leading up to it. Yeah. And with that, the uh, room begins to fill with a light dripping fog. And everybody can feel the sense that there's some sort of sleeping poison being faded into this chamber. And as everybody feels their limbs get heavier, they feel the sense that they're taking in some sort of like a uh, like a sleeping gas or like a laughing gas sort of thing. As they feel their arms get heavy, their fingers become swollen feeling. They feel like their faces becoming distorted. And as you reach up to touch your face to yawn, you can't feel the sensory nerve endings of your hands to your face. And at that moment, Jarzak regrets having a clawed metal gauntlet as he begins to scratch his face. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, everybody drifts off into a very, very deep and rich sleep. Um, Norhill, you enter what could only be described as a woodsy glen where you can see a single hobgoblin appearing to be walking amongst the trees with a small dog. And as you enter this vicinity... It almost feels as if you just materialize in the matter of, like, nothingness. And you just sort of appear here, fully in your normal form, but absolutely and utterly confused. 
As the hobgoblin looks off at you and sees you in the distance, he lets out a cry of alarm, and you can tell that he's not armed. He's not armored or anything. He's just dreaming about walking his dog. And in your mind, you feel an intrusion as the lich himself says, you should not kill the form, but kill the essence within. The sleeper will be preserved, but the one who sleeps will be captivated in his mind as long as you need it. Kill the dream, and you assume the four. And as you see the hobgoblin turn on the heel and begin to run away, it becomes all too real to you what you must do. Norhill is going to start chasing after him, but he is going to call out, Wait, do not run. I don't wish to cause you harm. Indeed, I need your help. And as you say that, the thing turns around and barks back at you something in the goblin tongue. Do you speak goblin? I do not. And he yells back something and keeps running. Uh, Norhill's going to keep chasing him. Okay. So, if you use your glorious march in a power, you're going to catch up to him. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to. Okay. So by you pure st- numbers. You just steamroll and catch up to him. I mean, it's a lot bigger than you for what it's worth, but you catch up to him. Yeah, and uh, uh, Norhill will, like, grab his arm and say, the fate of the whole world is at stake. If you would work with me just for a little while, you and I can both save it together. So here's where things get pretty rough for you. You can roll a persuasion check at disadvantage. Yeah, that's not a good number. Um, I mean, for me, it is. Uh, Well, that's not a good number for me either. I only got an eight. So the hobgoblin's armor begins to materialize around his form as if in his dream, he's beginning to realize he's still the dreamer. And slowly his armor forms and a weapon forms in his hand. And now that you're holding him and trying to stop him, he prepares to swing in on you with brutal might and fury. Okay. Yeah. All right. Initiative time. Got a 14. Well. Okay. So with that feeling that you may just be something of a dream, he just swings in on you and tries chopping. Uh, he got only a six and misses terribly, swinging way off, trying to regain his footing. Norhill easily steps to the side, uh, pulling out uh, the hook hammer and says, I really did not want to use force. But this, this is a very desperate a situation. Okay, what'd you get? Uh, let's see, so for attack roll number one, uh, that's going to be a 15. So that's a miss. You clang off of his dreamy armor. Attack roll number two, God's rolling single digits. Uh, that's going to be a 16. Okay, so again, you clang off of his armor. And realizing that he may have you had here, what would you like to do? Is that it? Uh, no, Norhill's going to keep trying to appeal to him 
you are in a position where I can shave not only the people and not only people in your time, but people in my. You could roll another one at disadvantage. Work together with me and we can do a lot of good for a lot of people. Nine. Okay. Yeah, it still doesn't work. And as he chops in on you, he deals seven points of damage. And as he slices into you... Uh, uh, so, I... he rolled higher than 21? Yeah. Norhill's going to use his reaction to warding maneuver. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. So, does he still hit a 24? Armor class. Wow. Jim puts a clank his blade away, and he still keeps planning on fighting you as his sword goes flying off in the distance. Another one materializes in his hand, and he prepares to swing in again. All right, Norhill, come on. You got to hit him. Kill his dreamy bitch. God, 13. This is it. Wait, you got to... Wait, what? Okay. To hit, I got a 13. Uh, on oh. my second attack, I got a 25. Oh, for fuck's sake, go ahead and roll for damage. You finally managed to hit it. Apparently a hobgoblin in his sleep is your greatest nemesis. Hey, you know, <laughs> you decided like... he couldn't be reasoned with. Hey, man, you just rolled a nine. He doesn't even understand you. Uh, that's going to be 13 points of a non-lethal uh, magical... Uh, bludgeoning and lightning damage. Okay. So as you give one last notice of like, I'm trying to warn you, you swing down from like the wide arc and crash this thing in the face. And as you feel like the skull collapse within this thing's face, even though you're only knocking it out, it's kind of hard to knock something out with a hammer. But anyway, um, as you do this within a snap of motion, you awaken on the mountainside of the Sunderspire Mountains, surrounded by three other hobgoblins. You see the dwindling embers of a campfire as you jump awake and look down at your hands, realizing your nails are now blackened and taloned just a little bit. Your skin tone itself has shifted from your normal pasty dwarfish self to one that is much more of like a brownish, yellowish kind of earthy toned kind of color. And as you feel your limbs kind of stretching about, uh, Nor Norio got a bit of an upgrade. Now <laughs> he's about six and a half feet tall. Uh, for a moment, realizing that you may have defeated the sleeper. Um, but now we go to a very different dream where we go instead. All right, let's go to Klika. Oh uh, boy, Klika, Klika, in the same sleepy sense, is floating again in the water, and you can see on the coastline. A single hobgoblin fishing, and as your head rises above the surface of the water, you hear Owen Thrundial's same call to kill the dreamer in order to assume the form. Because gonna... nobody wants to kill these poor guys. You fishing. Why would we? Clicka pops her head up and just says, "Um, hi, I'm Clicka, and I guess goblin. goblin yeah." Okay, so the hobgoblin waves to you, and he just says, Oh, hello, my name is Jembering. What brings you to this beach? Um, well, Jembering, Cleek is hoping that maybe you'll let her use your body for a little while. 
And with that, he just sort of shrugs and he says, I don't see why not. That seems like the most reasonable thing I've heard in, in all my dreams. What do you need it for? Well, it turns out um, the man you're working for, Stormblood. Wake him up by telling him something creepy like that. Maybe not the best idea, but you <laughs> know, whatever. I'm just the dungeon master. Imagine if somebody came to you in your sleep and they're just like, your boss is trying to kill you. No, your boss is going, to one, is going to die <laughs> and then come back in a metal body and destroy the world. And I'm like Terminator Which, I mean, that's style. That's something I would believe if I heard it in a dream. Well, um, there's just something Klico really needs to do. And you're the only one who can help her do it. And he nods just kind of confused and he says hold on a second and with that he just like puts his hand down into the ground and pulls up a pile of sand which quickly materializes into a comfortable bench and he sits down waiting for you to come up on the shore to talk to him he says what do you need uh well it turns out that maybe the man you're working for stormblood isn't a very good person and Klika needs to do something that will help stop him from hurting a lot of people. Like, so many people. With that, the Hobgoblin gives a nod and just says, Stormblood is a fool. Everybody knows that. We are agents of the Eyes of Failure. We simply work to do what we have to do. But you know that. Of course. I feel much less bad about killing my dreamer now. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yes, Klika knows a lot about Belior. And <laughs> there are many eyes. Well, I mean, with that, he just says, okay, I don't really know how I'm supposed to help you now, but whatever you need, I'm sure I can help you. Klika just tries to shake his hand, I guess. Let's <laughs> see if you do a little Freaky Friday body swap or something. And instead he looks too kind of confused. And with that, as his arm shakes around, it turns kind of rubbery and extends to the ground with his elbow hitting the ground at a full extended length of about seven feet from finger to shoulder. Oh. Okay. Um, just say... In your head or out loud that you accept Klika into your body. Try that. Only a persuasion check. <laughs> Which, I mean, you've got a bang in charisma, so I don't know what could go wrong here. You're the sorcerer, right? 13. Nice. So the 13, he says, I'm kind of confused why I would say... Klika, you have full right to accept and take control of my body. And with that, you wake up Got completely it. <laughs> at the campfire. The burning acrid smoke kind of twinging at your eyeballs a little bit. And you look over and see another hobgoblin sitting there across from you, looking over as you lurch forward and gives a very strange knowing look as if like eyeballing you in a way as if like he sees something that you don't see, but you can see that he sees something that you don't see. And as Klika realizes that she's officially become as tall as she's always depicted herself as being, she's very excited. 
maybe a little shorter, honestly. Click is like, dang, I, I shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, now we can go to Jarzak. Uh, Jarzak, you unfortunately <laughs> you wake up in something of a dining hall. You can tell it's like a nice tavern sort of like setting. Uh, the setting itself has quite a few hobgoblins and bugbears kind of roaming about eating, you know, just shanks of meat hanging out over spits and whatnot. The sounds of goblin drums and goblin flutes just playing in the background as you walk into this establishment, the only orc uh, afoot. But you can see one hobgoblin in particular sitting at the head of the table, eating quite a plethora of food. And you hear Thrindil's call again, saying to kill the dreamers to assume their form. Uh, Jarzak's gonna assume it's the one sitting at the front, but not knowing he's just gonna call out, Jakar! It's just not him at all. He's just like a guy. Yeah, that's like Jarzak just shouting it out just in case. (laughs) So, yeah, with that, uh, yeah. So, Jakar just kind of, like, looks over at you with meat falling out of his mouth as he's just kind of eating it and just chewing. Uh, both Norhill and Klika can see one of the hobgoblins in his sleep just like, and he just looks over at you with like a very strange puzzled look my people need your help do you speak goblin nope I'll if he doesn't respond in common then I'll, I'll try it in orc and then in Infernal, and then I'm gonna go try to kill him. <laughs> they yell the same phrase each time, and each time he looks more and more confused, but he keeps eating as you're talking to him and seems almost entertained by Infernal as you're like, glock, 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 and he's just like, no, oh, keep going, you're gritting there. So as you realize none of this is working, what do you do? I approach him and I go to kill him, I guess. Try making an attack roll. You can do it yeah, advantage because like... he definitely doesn't see this coming. <laughs> I go to kill him, I guess. So do I do it at advantage with Domero's luck and curse? I don't want to know what happens. Would it work in the dream? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I'm afraid it's it. going to follow you out because it's <laughs> instantaneous. So I reckon that the effect would happen there. But yeah, go ahead. Fucking do it. Domero's luck. Why not? Yeah, cause a metaphysical breakdown <laughs> of this whole game. All Get, right, yeah, you got surprise on him. You're at advantage. This bonus action the hex. Not him. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Bon- bonus action hex curse him so that I would get a crit on a 19 as well. Um, I feel like you shouldn't do this when you don't have a soul. I feel like somehow, in some way, I feel like lacking a soul. Like if you turn into the snowman again, I think we might have an issue with you coming back from that one. I. I, uh, crit? You did not crit. I rolled an 18 and a 19, and I crit on a 19. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, roll for damage. This guy's about to get fucked up in three different languages. You know, why you gotta be this way? Why is this the way that you have to be? (laughs) Yeah, so he's, he's absolutely dead. He is so dead... Dead. He's very dead. Now, I guess you got to roll me, uh, what was it, D10,000? Isn't that what we did? Yeah, 10,000. Yeah. Go ahead. This is it. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So at this point, uh, Norhill and Clico, you can both tell that one of the other sleeping hobgoblins sort of lurches awake instantly. Uh, but something else happens, and I guess we're going to figure out together what happens. You know, why did I give you guys this item? Why did I do You know, some groups yeah, are like, the deck fault. of many things. The deck Ten, of many things. 10,000, right? Yeah. I'd be afraid if we ever got 10,000 the stars aligned, because the stars aligning is very important to Klika, and I don't really know what would happen. <laughs> Klika just bursts. Yeah. It's just too much starlight in one place. No, I could find one that went to 10,000. That'd be really clutch. I know I found one He's before. Using Google, right? Unless somebody else wants to do it for you. Well, I I think I got it. Okay. Maybe not. Come on. You just type in Google, random number, 10,000. I guess. No, random. I got it. Hold on. Yeah, you gotta you gotta roll. Like, yeah. Yep. I, I think that'll it. do it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I got a I got a two. No, because I, I was there. It does a one or a two because it's two sides. It literally only gives you a one or a two. Oh. Uh max value. Ten thousand mm, value one Google, number man. of dice. Roll dice. Uh four six one eight. Okay, that's all right. I'm sure that won't be a problematic number. All right, four six one eight. Oh boy. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um. So as you sledge into it with Domro's luck, um, the the form when you hit it for an instantaneous moment when you hit into the thing with Domro's luck, it. The hobgoblin doesn't, like, die from getting its head crushed or anything like that. It explodes into a fireball, but luckily when it does so, you're already gone instantly. So for a split second, you feel like the heat of combustion, and all of a sudden you wake up as a hobgoblin amongst other hobgoblins with one sleeping next to you. Um, and it becomes very apparent that whatever you just did in there, you set off, like, a nuclear bomb in that room. And you are very lucky that instantaneously you dipped out of there. But for <laughs> some strange reason, you feel like the magic's not done yet. So we'll <laughs> deal with that as it occurs to us and whatever happens next. So let's just say, not cooled off just yet. Um. Okay. Ronnie, are you ready for your, your, your buddy All Hack? Yeah. Okay. So All Hack, <laughs> this one's the all really hack. fucked up one. Oh, no. Alhack, <laughs> you uh, you, you realize from the smell of of freshly cut wood that you're sitting in what might be described as sort of like a woodcutter's shed, and you can see a hobgoblin and a smaller hobgoblin, not a child, but like you know a grown sort of teenage adult kind of sized hobgoblin. Just woodworking together. And as you, from the darkness outside of this woodcutting thing here, with, under the torchlight that they have, realize that it's probably a father and son of sorts. And as one of them is showing the other one how to do the articulate motions of carving a little wooden sculpture here with a nice fine point on a hatchet, you standing there in the darkness outside of the torchlight, just staring in, become oddly apparent to the hobgoblin within there. 
And as he stands in front of the younger of the two hobgoblins, he steps forward and holds up his hand and points to in the darkness and says, in goblin something, but unless you speak it, it sounds like... I don't think I speak goblin, but I'll double check. You what? I don't think I speak goblin, I'm just double checking. I'm pretty sure it's just human and giant, isn't that the... I mean, common and giant? Yeah, so... So, all of a sudden, you feel Unthrendil's intrusion as you hear the same speech everybody else got of kill the dreamer, and you will assume their form. And as you look over and see the smaller bugbear standing be I mean, a hobgoblin standing behind the other hobgoblin, um, he grabs onto his shoulders for support out of fear of whoever just intruded on the camp. Ooh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I don't fuck with the kid. Uh... I mean, you know. It probably is the kid. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Whoa, I would not do that. That's fucked up. Uh, you said this is the fucked up one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even funnier is if... Never mind, go ahead. Neither of them. Yeah. Guy around the corner. <laughs> Ew. Oh my god. Like, that's worse. That's way worse. That's way darker in a weirder way. He's just a creeping stock artist. <laughs> Dreaming about the good old stocking days, watching people, teaching their kids things. Anyway, Ronnie, for the love of God, save us. What are you doing? I'm trying to think of a, a spell that'll make this quick and easy. Scorching right to this guy's face. No, that's not subtle enough. That's the problem with these fire spells. They're really not subtle. Um, I don't need to burn that fucking wood. Why do I need to burn down a fucking cottage? Like, come on. We already know my... It's a dream. There's no real-world implications. Not yet. Yeah, Jarzak set off a nuke in his. (laughs) This this is is dark, Anton. It's time to shine. Uh... (laughs) All of a sudden, you're stuck in the middle with you start playing in the background. Oh, no. Anton pulls out his little single razor shaving blade that you're just... Wow, Ronnie. Embrace the darkness of Anton. I'm trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to do that. One second. Make another orphan. It's more people to help. A part of me wishes I prepped like necromancy spells, but I didn't do that. Why would you have necromancer spells? I have have access to some of them. I could prepare, but I just... Something about that feels inappropriate, but I don't really know quite what that is. Yeah, I'm just like, I could have. Uh, I'm trying to think of. And, and I'm 99% sure I'm just killing, like, the dad. I'm not killing the son. Like, so I don't kill the child. You know uh, how much more funny it would be to kill the child than realize he know wasn't the... the right one? So everybody else, like, immediately blips into reality once they kill the right person. <laughs> and just Anton wonks the child in the face and the kid just dies and you're like, I'm gonna wake up, right? It's a dream, right? So only one of them is actually, like, the per- a person. Yeah. But which one? How do I know which one to fireball? I think I'm going to try to use this as like 
the guy is going through some weird lucid like dreaming shit and I do word of radiance on myself. So he has to do a constitution saving throw or take radiant damage. Take what? He has to do a constitution saving throw uh, and possibly take radiant damage. So I want to kind of give the sense of like I'm a weird like as long as it's not sacrilegious I'm a divine critter visiting your dreams and giving you fucked up shit to think about. <laughs> he got, he got a, a whole three on his die roll for his con save. So I think that the holy visage of Anton uh, is enough to convert this man. Uh, what did I get? One second. I uh, He got ten points of damage. I don't think that was a ten. Okay. So what does it look like when you do this? So, the way it's described is burning radiance erupts from me. So I'm trying to think of, like, those creepy, like, angelic images of, like, what biblically accurate angels are. I feel like you can't tell. I feel like it's just like, the burning image of, like, a figure. Anton transforms into the sun. Yeah. He also is a fireball nuke. Why is everybody nuking these poor hobgoblins in their dreams? That's why I wish I could yeah, so as you... They're so much more subtle. Fuck. So as you become an impossible level of radiance for a moment, uh, you feel yourself slip into a different form and shift awake quickly from sleep, looking around and seeing three other hobgoblins that look relatively similar to yourself surrounding the embers of a long-forgotten campfire. Um... As you realize, you radio, radiant damaged that hobgoblin to death. And as all four of you look around at each other, uh, it becomes painfully apparent that you have assumed the form of the hobgoblins themselves. And as any of you go to speak, you realize very quickly that the words come out of your mouth a little bit more clunky as you feel your jaw shape and your tongue and your teeth take on a different form and feeling. And for a couple moments, having to get a good feel for your own mouth is very strange to you. But while you guys are in this form, you all have a pretty good understanding of how to speak the goblin tongue. Cool. Is this anything similar to what we experienced when we all turned into elves? Yeah. Unfortunately, there's quite a lot of body swapping in this campaign. And, you know, mm. it, uh, not a fan of it. It happens twice. Well, but yeah, you're the one who put it in twice so far. It's weird that I it happened twice. <laughs> Listen, okay. You're gonna realize oh, it's gonna suck a lot that. worse if you keep criticizing me, okay? <laughs> Let's just say maybe it gets a little harder from here. I don't know. All I gotta say is that first the elf thing that was definitely initiated by Anton. We just happened to have a thing, we were in an elvish place, maybe it would help. Had some interesting results. I take Let's credit see. for my shit. I take credit for my shit. That was fine. Very good. So anyway, all four of the hobgoblins wake up and look back and forth at one another, realizing the various levels of dastard deed that was committed in order to get to this stage. But you all look around at each other and realize, as you look up to the horizon and beyond, that you are just below the mountainous peaks of Stone's Reach. And for a moment, Jarzak has a strange recollection to being at the same campsite. And remember seeing a strange furry beast jumping along the trees out here. And you realize you've been here before. Just outside of Eindindler's Lair, um, this place itself is not very far itself from Stone's Reach. And as you guys go back through the annals of time, looking over the horizon and seeing down into the valleys below, that the landscape of this place is very different. 
There is no spire. And it seems like Glory Wake is not a smoking, smoldering mass of destruction. And it seems like Dustwind is still where it was before. So, for what it's worth, the party have effectively traveled back in time somewhere around 100 years in the past. Unfortunately, the other thing they can see are all the little dotted campfires down in the valleys below surrounding Enton and Eagleheart and all the other important towns and places. As it dawns on you that the War of the Bleeding Stone is still a thing, and as Norhill feels the pain of a hundred dwarvish deaths, he realizes that he is now dressed as the enemy on the night so many of his kin lost their lives. And it becomes very apparent to you guys that time is of the essence, as Stormblood will be finishing the ceremony and transforming himself soon enough. And I think that's where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.